Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever. You're listening to the Bellarmine Forum podcast. I'm John B. Manos, president of the Bellarmine Forum, your show host. And today we're here with part two of religious exemptions, religious exemption law, and whether or not you as a Catholic can say, this is wrong, I don't want this. Last week, earlier this week, turns out, this is kind of fun, guys. Did you know the day I published that? I just looked on the calendar today. I should have done it when we did the earlier episode. Was the historical feast of Our Lady Health of the Sick. And today is the historical feast day of Our Lady of Transtahova. Let's start with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Makabozo Chanstahova, pray for us. Look, we're going to have uh, a little bit more fun today. Yes, the, the, the last episode, and, and I've gotten great feedback. I'm glad this is helpful for people. Today, we're going to talk about how does the law come into this little bit, and how do you, as a Catholic, tell your employer, hey, this goes against everything I believe, if you feel that way. Now, we have to talk through a little bit of this. News today, Secretary of Defense announces that they're mandating the Pfizer-BioNTech, but they have a new name for it. I like that when they do that. They change the name because they don't, you know, they, 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 they don't want you to connect one thing with another, but it's still the Pfizer-BioNTech. It's now called the Cominardi, Cominardi, Cominardi vaccine. So when you hear that, that's the same thing as Pfizer. But the military, geez, get this, people, unlike Cardinal Supich, the military says, hey, there, uh, there, there are grounds to consider religious exemptions. So military and service guys, listen up. We're going to talk through how to formulate a Catholic uh, uh, religious exemption based if, if you feel that way. And we talked last time about the informed consent. And I brought up you guys in, in serving our country last episode because you know it. You're, you're very aware of it. In the military, you accept hazardous duty on behalf of all of us, and you know better than anybody else how much training you get and safeguards that your employer provides for you to make you safe, the technology, all the other stuff that goes on. But it's amazing that your Secretary of Defense seems to care about you more than Cardinal Supich does his employees. Because he's willing to hear if you have a basis in religion to claim an exemption from the vaccine. Isn't that curious? It's interesting, at law, for civilians and people working in U.S. things, There's you've heard of the EEOC, and you've heard of Title VII. Religious exemptions in the U.S. fall under an accommodation where an employer cannot discriminate against you for a number of reasons, one of which is religion. And how this has been interpreted, this is, this is how the, the conscious clause, as it will, uh, comes into play with, with regards to the workplace. So, you know, examples of this. If uh, a place otherwise prohibits people from wearing hats, but you're Jewish, you can wear a skull cap. Likewise, if you're a devout Catholic and believe that it's wrong to work on Sunday, you can get an exemption for that, as can uh, 
a devout Jew who doesn't work on the Sabbath. Same thing. Now, the law plays out that it's only your sincere beliefs. It's not what the religion says. So unlike what Cardinal Supic tried to mandate, saying there's no basis for religious exemption, I'd like, I brought up some of this last time. But the EEOC really doesn't listen to Cardinal Supic. Uh, the law doesn't care about Cardinal Supic's mandates. What the law cares about with regards to whether or not you're being discriminated against are your sincerely held religious beliefs. So this all, there's a number of spinning wheels here. And, and we're going to talk a little bit around the fence a little bit, but we're going to go through a quick outline of how would you write out your own religious exemption? But before we get there, I want to point something out about these bishops who are also employers. Think about this for a minute. Your employer, if you're mandated, let's say you work for a secular university hospital system, or let's say you work for um, some people now that are contractors to hospitals are getting pressure from the hospitals, and they're saying, well, we can't do work for the hospital unless everybody's vaccinated. Well, that's fine, but we have to go through uh, whether or not you have a religious exemption. And it works the same. The EEOC says you, as an employer, they don't care what the religion says. It's your sincerely held religious beliefs. Nobody else can tell the EEOC what you sincerely believe, can they? Cardinal Supic can't come in and say, well, he's not allowed to have, uh, this person can't be morally repulsed by that because I said so. No. And for to direct the priests, the EOC, I've seen it in several places. Now, I need to make one thing clear. I am a lawyer, and we are discussing the law, but I'm not your lawyer. You should always do the best you can and seek legal advice. There's a number of places to do that on this. Uh, I'll try to gather some links where you can find volunteers, you can find organizations that provide legal advice. But I'm going to tell you, it's generally understood that a minister does not have to sign an exemption. Now, if that's the case of the law, imagine how bad that was, what we talked about in the last episode, where Supic was instructing his priest not to sign religious exemptions. That's terrible. Because when we're really talking about this, what happens is you have a, a layer of bureaucracy within an organization, and the person that's receiving uh, if you remember office space and they talked about TPS forms, you, you know what I'm talking about. That's really what you're dealing with in a lot of these organizations. You have to do this and do that. And, oh, I'm sorry, I can't accept it because your minister didn't sign it. That's not the law. It's what you state on your own. So, like, if you're working in Chicago, <laughs> you could still write your own out and give it to them. And it doesn't matter what the cardinal says because we're dealing with the law. And the EEOC doesn't care what the Cardinal says. If you have a sincerely held belief that this is wrong for you, you should tell the Archdiocese of Chicago or any other place where you work, I have a problem with this. 
And then we'll go through what you should, how the Catholic thinking should go. We began with concepts last week that come from the USCCB. I'm positive Cardinal Supich wouldn't say, isn't going to deny what the USCCB says. At the top of the chain, where do we find how God tells us what to do? It's in the commandments, right? Everybody agrees with the commandments. The fifth commandment itself, and I mentioned it last time, the fifth commandment prohibits you. God says, thou shalt not kill. That includes yourself. That's why suicide's wrong. But it also involves activities that you know may kill you or severely impair you. And what we were talking about last time is how do you put these things together when you're considering, say, surgery or a drug or a therapeutic or an injection? Drugs and injections are different. The law is always recognized. It doesn't matter what Cardinal Supich thinks, you know, uh, once that needle breaks your skin, it's no different than a surgery. If you put a pill in your mouth, that's the alimentary canal. That's also where you eat. Your body is accumulated to, is accustomed and designed to take in foreign matter through your mouth. It's not designed to have your skin opened and have foreign matter put in it. That's why those things are different. That's why they're different laws, but medically, they're recognized as different classes of things. One's invasive. Cutting you open and placing foreign matter inside of you is invasive. Taking a pill is generally not considered invasive. Now, if you're taking a pill that contains a robot that does work on your organs while it's in there, that, that's invasive because we're talking about something that's going to break uh, the integrity of your GI wall or something like that. And I, I, I remember seeing that where people could take a pill and there's a camera that goes down and they get pictures of your GI tract and all that. But we're not too far off from when you see these Da Vinci machines that the doctors use and there's a couple little arms that go in through holes and they blow up your abdomen like a, like a beach ball, but they can get in there and they're only going in through these small holes. That's still invasive. The, the, the difference between classes of medical services we put all the things that break the skin or the, uh, the, the body open as invasive. And we put other treatments. It's, let's say it's a chiropractic adjustment or physical therapy or taking therapeutic drugs. Those are non-invasive. So there's two classes of medical treatments. So we should always compare. Is something invasive? And is there a less invasive or non-invasive alternatives? Now, the fifth commandment tells you, you need to be concerned about harm or the risk of harm. And the way you make an analysis like that in traditionally, with the, the, with the links I gave last time, is something called proportionate analysis. And this is where you determine for yourself the risks and benefits and the alternatives, you remember, we talked about it last time because one of the alternatives is doing nothing. And on that point about doing nothing, the, the military 
In addition to what I said before, that the military is even going to consider religious exemptions for the vaccine. We'll get into a little bit more of that later because there's a legal hitch that I see coming in workplaces that is kind of funny that the military really doesn't see a problem to. You want to know why the military doesn't see a problem to this? There's what, some one and a half million service members plus contractors in military service. Millions of people, right? They have their own... DO, Department of Defense has put out their own COVID-19 cumulative totals. And in the military itself, they've had 226,500 cases. And they have others. There's civilians, dependents, and contractors. Out of all those, they've had 2,000. 2,000 hospitalized and 34 deaths. Now, do, let's just talk about doing nothing for a minute. Some of these people got sick. But out of all of them, 34 deaths. Anybody want to do the math? Let's see. 34 divided by 226, 510. What's that equal? Point. Zero, 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 one, five. Move the decimal point two places. And we're talking about point zero, one, five, zero, zero, one, five percent. That's your chance of death. For doing nothing. Or doing little. Or just weathering it out like a cold or a flu quite a different number than what the news projects. This is the DOD's own own stats, their cumulative totals for what they've encountered. And nobody's going to convince me that they haven't kept good stats. That's a joke for the service members. You You know what's been going on. You know the paperwork. You know what's going on. And this is what they're publishing for all of us to look at. Now, the total across all their classes uh, of cumulative totals, they say they've had 341,000 cases. Out of all those, 419 died. So 419 divided by 341,055, and the number's even lower, 0.0012. That sounds to me like... Uh, a tenth of a percent. <clears throat> Where would that be in, in raw numbers? Uh, anybody want to hazard a guess? One in a thousand? One in ten thousand? Something like that? 419 deaths out of millions of people. Think about that for a minute. This is the military statistics. Let's go. Let, we know these are reliable. And that's just the number of deaths against the cases. If we take the total number of people, which is not in this table, let's just take a guess. We know it's, and and this could be bad, but we know there's, there's a million and a half. There's actually more, but just to get to a percentage out of those million and a half people, if we take the highest death count, which is the cumulative death count for all COVID, 419. 
And it, oh, just to point it out, because somebody's going to say, well, how current was that data? Right on here, you know, oh, that's why I like the military stats. It says right on there, it was just updated today, August 25th. I'm looking right at it. And I'm on defense.gov slash explore slash spotlight slash coronavirus DOD response. It's their data. So we take 419 total coronavirus deaths and we divide it by a million and a half, roughly, we get 0. 0.0002. Two out of a 0.02% chance. 99.98% chance of survival. What we don't have at this point are similar reliable reports for the shot. I have anecdotes from people I know, including some horrible ones. Woman reports, man of good health gets the shot. He's dead in two days later. Was it the shot? Well, the news would say we can't prove that. But this is the problem with it. It's nobody else's business to take the risk for you. God says you have a moral responsibility to take care of your body. And the church tells us what that means with regards to medical treatment is you consider your alternatives. If you're going to get this shot, the shot has risks and benefits. If you're going to do something less invasive than a shot, maybe it's taking one of these therapeutics like ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine. You can figure that out. National Institutes of Health considered, you know, they put ivermectin up there in safety with aspirin and uh, all that other stuff. The question at that point becomes, does it help you weather this virus? There's clinical data out there that suggests that it totally cuts your viral load within one day. You know what that means? Unlike the vaccine, which doesn't prevent transmission, chloroquine derivatives like hydroxychloroquine or chloroquine itself and ivermectin actually prevent you from being contagious because there's no viral load. Figure that part out. Well, this is stuff that you need to weigh out for yourself. You need to find sources that would support your decision. So you're writing your thing. Dear employer, comma, Despite what Cardinal Supich says, I understand the fifth commandment. I love our Lord, and I sincerely believe that I don't want to sin by being rash with my medical choices and doing something that might endanger my life unnecessarily, without benefit. Let's put it another way. I believe the fifth commandment gives me a duty to have free and informed consent to make a proportionate analysis of medical alternatives in my life. I need to determine the proposed harm of alternative care versus the benefit for each alternative and whether of a doing nothing itself. So by the DOD's own statistics, updated today, if you do nothing, for everybody that works for them, for this whole number, 
you have something like a 99.8% chance of survival. That's just doing nothing. Do you know your risks? Do you think the vaccine is going to help you? This would be your second question. No, actually, your second point would be, I consider the vaccine to be one of many alternatives, including the alternative to doing nothing. Now, with the DOD reporting all this, we have a real, we have a real probability there. We've got a real number we can hang our hats on to make a comparison with all these other things. This isn't necessarily people have done nothing. These people probably took vitamin D. You have people that are generally healthy. Uh, there's not going to have people. Most of these people won't have a problem with interferon or other things that would accelerate whatever this disease is. I still think it's amazing. It's just a side comment based on my background. You know, I'm, per- I'm published in the journal Separation Science, and that was for chromatography and other stuff. And I did work in pharmacokinetics in the back, in the past. And I'm a chemical engineer. So I have, you know, more than a layperson's understanding of some of these things. How is it that 40 countries have been unable to find a viral fragment? I mean, even the Japanese, they've been out there. I mean, if we want to talk about, you know, some of the better microbiology labs, if the Japanese have been looking for a year and a half, they can't find this virus. Just an idea. Is there something going around making people sick? Yes. Is using the Koch's postulates, 139-year-old science. That's Did you know that? Koch's postulates are what are generally considered uh, how to prove that a virus is there. And these postulates are 139 years old. Now, rather than making everything fit into the science of 139 years ago, if you can't find the viral fragment, as a matter of fact, if nobody in the world has been able to isolate the viral fragment, it could be that we're dealing with something different than a virus, right? Just kind of follows logic. And if a vaccine is ordinarily made from the viral fragments, that's why we get into people calling it immunotherapy or changing the words or things like that. If any of that makes you nervous, if you're kind of a normal person that says, look, I don't have this background in pharmacokinetics. I don't even know what pharmacokinetics are. I don't know what toxicology is. I can look at this chart. I can look at my own experience. And this looks like a really bad flu. And yeah, it's really bad for some people. But it looks like I have a 99.98% chance. And if it works like every other disease that's out there, I, I may have already had it and gotten over it and I'm good. That's the other thing that nobody... I can't find good evidence on this. If you catch the flu in one season, you don't catch it again, right? You might get some other crud that goes around. How come they're wanting to give shots for something that's been around more than a year and they're calling a a virus? How do we know? How does that work for other viruses? Like the mumps. If you get a shot for the mumps, you never get the mumps again, right? Why are they saying for this shot, oh, no, we need another booster and we need more. And the 
CEO of Pfizer is now out there saying, well, no, we need to develop a new shot that deals with this year's vaccine. So why is this shot that's out there that was geared, according to the CEO's own words, for something that's gone? Why would this be mandated? That's just a question. Why would you take a risk? I'm proposing it so that you might understand the benefit problem. Is there a benefit proposed by the alternative of this particular shot, this invasive procedure? Let's move to another one. Let's look at therapeutic, certain therapeutic drugs. I mentioned two of them before. Ivermectin, which NIH called a miracle drug, says safe as aspirin. A number of people have anecdotal evidence, and if you ask around, you will probably find somebody that you know that's taken it one way or another. Ask them what it was like. Ask them if, in their opinion, they got a benefit from taking it. The same goes for hydroxychloroquine. I've known more beginning last year with somebody I worked with who was put on a respirator, but at the time of the respirator, they had to fight tooth and nail to get hydroxychloroquine. But they were put on hydroxychloroquine, and within a day, they cleared up. This was somebody who was being put on a respirator. That opened my eyes up for me. When I see some clinical studies going all the way back into 2005, it talks about eliminating the viral load. And you realize that this is a drug that is sold over the counter in places like India, like aspirin, and people take it so they prevent malaria. But the dose you would need to prevent coronavirus would be actually the same or lower. And there's a number of people with rheumatoid arthritis that have taken it weekly for years at much higher doses than what you need, according to these clinical reports. So here's two options, two drugs that seem to promise from clinical studies, make you non-contagious and cure you if you get the disease. Those are alternatives to the vaccine. And then your other option is other therapeutics, including vitamin D, quercetin, and other stuff. The concept being that zinc plus and ionophore like quercetin and vitamin D, I've seen clinical studies out there that say that's as effective as the other therapeutics. So you have <clears throat> something here to, to, to formulate and investigate how you feel about the medical alternatives against your duty as a Catholic to follow the fifth commandment and not intentionally do harm to yourself. And when you follow the bishop's advice of how to come to informed consent, and I'm saying this slower so you could write this down. I hope, yeah, maybe I should have told you that at the beginning of the show. Get your, get your uh, legal pad out or your scrap paper or Get that piece of mail you didn't open yet and write this down on the back of the envelope. You have a religious objection because you love God and you want to follow his commandments. And he tells you in the fifth commandment not to do harm to yourself. The church is always taught and the bishops explain to you that that means you have to go through deliberate thinking, proportionate analysis of medical alternatives to any treatment that you face. You understand that the employer wants you to get a vaccine because they think it'll give a benefit. However, 
It doesn't make you non-contagious. And there's no clinical data that says that it does. You've reviewed it. You see that there's a risk of death. You feel you've known either known people or you see evidence that it could seriously impair. Okay, write this word down. Seriously impair your functional integrity. That's a word that we talked about out of the Bishop's document. If you go back to the last post and you go in that Bishop's document and just search for integrity, you're going to find you have a duty to look at medical alternatives. If one impairs your fu uh, functional integrity, but another doesn't, you used to prefer the one that doesn't, just like invasive stuff. There's more risks with anything invasive than non-invasive, generally. That's why people prefer re rehab to surgery most of the time. Because if a problem can be cured with rehab, you've never risked opening the body, you've never risked mechanical changes to the body, you never risked uh, chances of infection or other things. I'm sorry, you know, I, they could have great, I, I just don't understand, well, I won't go there. I won't go there. This is about your feelings, not mine. Now, do you have to have a minister sign this thing? You know, if you're getting a form, let's say you work for uh, uh, Trucks Healthcare Express, and you know, Chuck's a contractor for the hospital, and you run lab services, and Chuck says, hey, you know, I don't really care, but you know, the hospital looks at these and they want a signature there. You might be, con you know, you could be a modernist about it and say, hey, Chuck, you want to be my minister today? Because the EOC really doesn't care if a minister signs this thing or not. And as it, as it comes to you requesting a religious exemption, it doesn't matter what Cardinal Supich, it doesn't matter what these other bishops say. This is about your sincerely held religious beliefs. If you say, I know these other things are out there, and I see clinical data that suggests this, this, and this is more effective and less risky for me, than that. I cannot. I sincerely believe that I would offend God by, by choosing that over this other option. Let me say that part again. This is a little bit of magic words here. You, ne you need to understand. It's your Why is the law giving you an exemption? Because you have sincerely held religious beliefs that tell you this is wrong. Now, we could add in other reasons that you may believe this is wrong for you. I find it morally repugnant to use products tested on aborted cells. Just like some people find it morally repugnant that products are tested on animals, I find this morally repugnant because this is morally repulsive to me. And I sincerely believe it's wrong. And I don't want to participate. I don't want to have anything to do. I don't want a product tested this way, inserted in my body. You get the gist here? The magic words with the law are, I sincerely believe this is wrong. Because I believe this and what you're telling me to do violates that principle. I sincerely believe that I have a duty by the fifth commandment to 
make a proportionate analysis of medical alternatives in a situation to me. I have reviewed data of the risks presented by COVID. I see that if I do nothing, like the military data, I have a risk of 0.02% or whatever you come up with when you investigate it for yourself. I see that there are alternatives to the vaccine that actually make me non-contagious, are safer for me, and do not violate my religious beliefs because they are less risky, provide less risk of death or serious impairment. This is key too. The teaching is that I am to be provided with adequate information to have free, informed consent. Do you feel like the way the news has reported this or an employer mandating you has prevented you from having informed consent? Write that down. I sincerely believe that I have been prevented from from free and informed consent by the choices of others and a confused the confusing news reporting however whatever whatever things you feel like prevent you from investigating your medical alternatives to the extent that bishops say you should do it i i think that's very interesting that the ceo of pfizer says no we have to do a new one next year because this one's not, you know, there's other stuff coming and this one won't address it. I think for me, if I'm considering alternatives, I, I would point that out. I believe mandating me to take this shot that's not effective against the things out there today presents a risk that would violate the fifth commandment and would be, if I knowingly participated, would be sinful. You can always back the podcast up and, and, and hear these things. Now, this is where a little bit of this gets kind of strange because look at how somebody like Cardinal Supich did this. He's the bishop. He tells his priest, don't sign any religious exemptions. And then when he mandates to his employees, he says, we will not consider religious exemptions. His lawyers had to tell him, you don't have that option. Title VII requires. Let me tell you why. Is everybody working for the archdiocese Catholic? What if they have a religious exemption? And that sort of, that statement, we will not consider on its own appears to be, now I'm sure there's a lot more here. I, I, I guarantee you that the Cardinal has adequate large firms of silk line attorneys advising him. And I guarantee you that in the pages of memos generated on this, there were options for the Cardinal to choose. Let's put the law aside for a minute because Title VII in the EOC says you have to consider it. 
And the law says that they have to grant it unless it presents an undue burden. Now, an undue burden, in the EEOC's words, means that it it it, it mean it costs the nothing more than a de minimis cost to the employer. Now, what is that? You know, some employers have taken unreasonable views, and I call them unreasonable because they can't prove it. They could find one slice out there. They could, you know, anybody could do anything they want. When you look at that DOD data, it looks to me like there's, this isn't really deadly here. You know, and we're going to get into reasonable people. What does a reasonable person say? Well, the problem is today, a lot of people are unreasonable. But to be unreasonable, I saw things, and they're probably changed by now, but at least in that Crane's business report last week, there were statements that, well, if you've gotten the shot and you get sick with COVID, now think of, think of this for a minute. If they're telling you you have to get the vaccine, why are they making accommodations for the people that are vaccinated? But Supich's the Crane report said that the Supich said of his employees, if you get the shot and you get COVID, you can have your 10, if you test positive for COVID, you can have your 10 days of quarantine at home off paid. If you haven't had the shot, you don't get those paid days. You have to use your accumulated time. Think of that for a minute. If he's telling you you must take the vaccine because otherwise you're danger, why are they making an accommodation for people to get the shot? In other words, their own rules say the shot, or have already contemplated the shot doesn't work for the purpose they're saying. I hope there's some sharp plaintiff's attorneys in Chicago that are listening to this, or I hope if you're listening and you're in Chicago or one of these other places that have similar rules, this is something the EOC says you have to treat employees right. This is something called disparate treatment. You're telling your employees you have to get the shot, but then on the backside you're saying, oh, if you get the shot and you get sick anyway, I'll give you some time off. Well, if you're so confident that you're willing to mandate the shot and mandate that your employees undergo risk of serious impairment, risk of serious harm, or risk of death, then why are you saying that, you know, oh, if you get it, you'll give them time off? Why are you making accommodations if you're wrong? If you're wrong, then let the employees who have a problem with that, who may look at other alternatives, to achieve a safe workplace like therapeutics. As a matter of fact, if I was writing my religious exemption, I might put that in. I am very concerned about being contagious and understand that the vaccine doesn't stop that. But I do understand that therapeutic alternatives I looked at do. And prevent me being on therapeutics not only make me non-contagious, but provide no burden to the company. Really, what does the company have to do? There's no burden to the company at that point, other than some pie in the sky that nobody can prove difference, the 
you must be deadly. And it's like you're walking around being deadly. That's not, they have to prove that. I'm sorry. There's no proof of that. The DOD's own data suggests otherwise. Our own experience, healthcare workers are out there saying, we've worked a year and a half and you never worried about it. And none of us died. None of us, are, you know, someone's got sick, but we've been working. Plus, if the shot works, what risk to the vaccinated would people on therapeutics or doing nothing pose? So if somebody gets their free 10 days off, the employer's stuck in the position of treating these employees differently on specious claims. Now, people would say, well, we're following the best advice that's out there. The, the problem with the best advice is it doesn't make sense to a reasonable person because we can say otherwise. We can see otherwise. I would suggest that you don't get into a big fight like that with anybody at work because you don't need to. But I'm telling you how the law plays it out. And you, you'll see this in some of the reports. I, I think judges will take a while to pick up because judges look and they see, well, yeah, my doctor told me I should get the shot at my age. And, you know, Bill and uh, Ted uh, at the club, they've got their shots. And um, that's what most people in the courthouse have been doing. I know there's some people there, you know, there, but they're younger. And uh, so when they... Lawyers come in, those nice, you know, they get nice dread suits coming in and they come in. They're very polished when they come in. I, I'm picturing an appellate case. I've seen a number of those firsthand as a clerk in the Kentucky Supreme Court. They'll come in and, well, yes, and may it please the court. You know, our employers just, we, all we're trying to do is provide a safe workplace. Oh, yes, you're, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do tell me more. Well, our concern we, we've had these people is that they provide an undue burden on us. We would like you, your honor to accommodate religious exemptions. And my client, the, the, the bishop, he says he doesn't understand religious exemptions and Catholicism because it, it's too remote. See, they're already putting words in your mouth when they get there and they're arguing those things. And the judge is hearing this and he's saying, so these people over here, they just don't want that shot. And, and the employer's saying it's going to make a risky workplace because they have to separate all these people and you're going to have all these contagions run around. You know, somehow they, they put like the idea that you're spreading germs because you didn't get the shot. But just like we said, so are the people that got the shot. And if it's a sterilizing vaccine, you don't need to provide 10 days off for them to quarantine, right? But they did. So there's a lot of problems here. And I, I think that many of you, if you don't want this and you approach your employer and you explain to them why you think it's wrong and you're reasonable and say, I would like to do this other stuff instead because it looks as effective or more effective. I think most people, they'll be fine. Because at the end of the day, nobody wants that fight. Some of these more motivated ones, and I understand the Archdiocese of Chicago, Cardinal Supich even backed off a little bit and said, well, you know, you can also be tested weekly. 
I, I think that's even a little bit invasive. You really don't need a weekly test. But, you know, you had that carnival cruise and everybody on the car. This is something you would uh, should put in your back pocket. My mom sent this to me. News story. You look it up for yourself. Carnival Cruise Lines. You know, they're requiring everybody to be vaccinated because they want to have a safe ship, right? God. Woman on a Carnival Cruise Line gets, uh, she's fully vaccinated, gets uh, COVID and dies. Well, what about in the workplace? Can we say that the Carnival Cruise Line, where everybody's required to be vaccinated, is like a workplace? And if the shot didn't prevent a COVID death there, why would it prevent it in yours? That's just something you might want to, I would throw, if I was writing a religious exemption for me, I would throw that part in there. And I'm going to tell you why. The bureaucrat that looks at it, they're, they're trying to figure out, okay, pass or grant. At some point, there's a summary of these that goes to a lawyer. Like you guys that work in a hospital, this is exactly what happens. The HR collects these and there's a clerk that goes through them and they kind of put them together and we're going to put them in stacks. Like we understand this one. These are all based this way and those are all based that way. At some point, there's a lawyer like me or somebody like me in a firm and they get this stack and they have a summary and it's their job to figure out, okay, what's here and what do we do with it? Generally, what you want to do, and I know this approach works from uh, past uh, advice I've given to others, you want that lawyer to think this really isn't worth it. Just let this guy go. Putting hints in there about why, if you're going to make Custer's last stand over this, this just isn't going to be a good idea. And that would be one I would put there. And I would even discuss that with my employer. I'd say, look, I appreciate, I, I like it. You want to provide a safe workplace for me. But there's two problems here. This looks like a deadly risk to me. And there's alternatives that allow me to be safe. Look at this study about ivermectin. It reduces viral load, which means I won't even be contagious. Don't you want that? It's better than a mask. If I'm not contagious, if I don't have the virus and I'm taking this stuff and it prevents me from having a viral load, that's what we want, right? Can you say that about the shot? Did you hear about this carnival, cars, carnival cruise line? They were all fully vaccinated, yet somebody died of COVID on it. How's that happen? What's going to happen here at work when that happens here? Because it happened there. You see, it, the premise of the mandate is to be safe. But they're not allowed to run roughshod, and the law says that. If you have a basis, look at that bishop's document leaked from last time. If you have a basis to object based on your sincerely held religious beliefs, if you believe in the fifth commandment and a duty to do no harm to yourself, the church says you should consider the several medical alternatives that you have. It could be that you don't want to engage in experimentation. Well, they'll tell you, well, it's approved. Uh, I would look at the approval, but even in the face of it being approved, if you have, if you find uh, that it was tested on these things to be morally repugnant, that's one. 
And if you determine that there are less risky, safer therapeutics that are more effective at accomplishing the goal and don't present a risk of death to you, that would be what your duty to do is under the fifth commandment. And you want to be a good employee and you, you understand that by taking these things, you would be non-contagious. So it would comply and present no burden to your employer. You don't have a duty to prove no burden. I would throw it in there because the judge that's reading it. And when those lawyers are making those arguments, he's sitting there thinking, well, you know, these people, they're going to be in there. And we can't let them just be dangerous. And your employer is going to be arguing against you that way. Well, if we let these people run around unvaccinated, they're going to be, you know, we have to put these walls up and we have to, you know, keep them. And, sh and that's actually one of the things that the Archdiocese of Chicago is doing. They're saying if you, at least for now, they may have changed it already. But as of the Cranes Chicago business report, one of the punishments you're going to get, if you don't do what the Cardinal asks and take your uh, shot, your invasive procedure to which he says that you should have no religious objections. I don't know how he substitutes your free informed consent for your own. You're not allowed to use the lunchrooms. Now think about that for a minute. So in his mind, because you're uh, not vaccinated, you're the only contagious person there. I think some crafty plaintiff's attorneys dealing with that workplace situation probably should be filing papers already because I can see some people making money on that, uh, especially given what happened on the Carnival Cruise Lines. I mean, there were people who were all fully vaccinated. They had their cards and everything. So apparently you're letting, you're telling one group of employees you people over there are punished and you don't get these things. And you people over here, you get special treatment. I think that's something that Title VII says you're not supposed to do. And if we talk about it in a vacuum, it sounds on the face of it. If these were really sterilizing vaccines, this is more language for you if you're thinking about it. If this really was a sterilizing vaccine, the, asking for those things might make sense. But since it's not, and since people that get this shot are still contagious, it doesn't make sense. But here are therapeutics that are less risky that actually do make you non-contagious. Those are more ideas. You can tell I, I really don't want to provide a form. I don't want to be writing this for you. And part of it is because I think it's better when it's, since it's, you, the EEOC says it's your sincere religious beliefs. You should write it in a way. I've given you the concepts. You believe in the fifth commandment. You have a duty to, to, to God. You want to honor God. And God says it's wrong for you to kill, including for you to do things that you know present a, a risk of harm, serious impairment, and death for no benefit. And not when there are other medical alternatives that are better. You want to be a good employee? We all do. I mean, that's what it is at the end of the day. And your employer is looking at, I mean, I'm sure they all have all kinds of different pressures on them. Your employer is looking at it like, oh gosh, how do we 
prevent, you know, a lawsuit against us for letting people catch COVID and how do we keep a safe workplace? And I would talk that through with them. Say, I, I agree with that. I don't want to knowingly get somebody else sick, but let's look at, you know, the, the, the real death data here and be rational about it. And let's talk about the other things that could happen. I think if you need legal advice, you, you, you should talk to lawyers. There are things out there. There's the uh, Alliance Defending Freedom. There's a number of nonprofits that have definitely put their things in. I'll try in the show notes to put links to some of those places. I'm also trying to find uh, better. Maybe, there, maybe I will do that. And if there's interest in it from people, I would just write one how I would write it if it was for me. And it, that way, at least you can look at it. I wouldn't copy and paste it. You know, there's templates that go around that everybody copies and pastes. You know, one of the problems with doing that is that once they see the template in one place and somebody decides they're not following that one, they'll just treat all the rest the same way. The EEOC says this is your sincerely held beliefs. That means... You write what you sincerely believe and why this is wrong. There's really nobody that's supposed to be in there picking that apart. Not the cardinal, not the bishop, not your priest, not your boss, nobody. I've given you enough information that you should be able to co coherently, cogently quote the, the bishop's document. You can download it and print it so you have a copy and show them it's right here. Look, you can go find this on the USCCB site yourself. I'm not fibbing about Catholic beliefs. They're right here. The cardinal agrees. You know, everybody has to agree. That's what the church teaches. The point is, you sincerely want to do that. Now, some of these other things are morally repugnant. I, I, I think uh, I can't see how any benefits there. I think you could say it's morally repugnant to you to have foreign matter put inserted in your body for no good reason. And you believe there's no good reason to get this when there's medical alternatives that don't require you to do that. There's another idea for you, just like the animal testing one uh, that other people use. Why can't we say that we find it morally repugnant that these things were tested on aborted cell lines, period? If you believe that, say it. Because the EEOC isn't going to knock you down the way some of these bishops are. If you really believe that, that's what they care about. That's your sincerely held religious belief. I'm telling you on the legal front, I brought up all that stuff about undue burden and de minimis costs because you know this isn't a walk through the garden, but that's what the law would say. We're going to, your boss, your, your employer has to grant it unless there's an undue burden. And what they've done is ramped up this undue burden to say, well, we have to go through all these costs to protect from these contagious people. You should put that right in there, that you're willing to use therapeutics that make you non-contagious. And, and, and that you intend to use them, and that way you're not contagious, and there's no burden on the employer that way. And if somebody says, well, that doesn't do that that way, tell them to prove it. Because they can't. And if they say, and I mean, you can always say that. Look at this Cardinal Cruise Line. Everybody there was shot, uh, had the shot, and somebody still died. How's that any different from me? How do we know if they would have let some unvaccinated people on, maybe that woman wouldn't have died? That's the problem with all this.
at least as far as the law goes, there's no burden there. Not in real, not in reality. The last thing, and you'll see it's advice everywhere, and I think it's good advice that comes from employment attorneys. Don't quit your job over this. Don't sign a voluntary, don't get put in a position where they say, well, if you don't sign it, you have to voluntarily resign. No, you don't. No, you don't. They're the ones that have to give you the exemption, according to Title VII. And if you voluntarily resign, now, if they could say, well, we just can't have this, and here's two years' salary, and here's a severance, well, that's a different discussion. You should talk to a lawyer. Maybe that might be worth it in that situation. But that's not what's going to happen. The way a lot of these, and I hate to say it, because some of these places that I'm thinking of probably call themselves Catholic. But there's health systems I can think of that they'll try to they'll try to snooker you out and then they'll try to make it look in writing like you voluntarily left in order to prevent you from claiming unemployment in order to make it harder for you to sue for the Title VII violation or any other thing. But I think if you fall into a position like that, you should be talking to an attorney to have them advise you on how to deal with it. I just throw that out there because it's generally advice, particularly if you're dealing with a Title VII situation like this religious exemption, not to leave, to make them fire you. For one thing, you can get the unemployment, or it's easier to get the unemployment then. But for the other thing, it's the principle of it. You're not voluntarily leaving. Get it? And if they treat you if they treat you even worse, well, you should still talk to a lawyer about that too, because Title VII provides a lot of remedies beyond just the exemption. And there's a lot of case law around treatment based on denying a religious exemption. Let's say a prayer. Our Lady Chanstahova, pray for us. God bless you guys. I hope this has been helpful. I know the first one was even more helpful. Oh, thanks, Ivan. He pointed out to me, think of this part. Here's Supich, the, the boss and the bishop. I don't know how, you know, I'm not a plaintiff's attorney in Chicago. I'm sure his attorneys warned him that it's going to look like this. But he's the boss of these people and he's the bishop and he's telling them, I'm not. Con-. He used his bishop role to say there's no such thing as religious exemptions and then put out there, we're not considering religious exemptions as an employer. I've wondered what the purpose of him saying that is, because the law, it's contrary to the law for one thing. But I almost wondered if the point was not to make it harder for people to work elsewhere. Because then they're then their own employer is going to say, Well, you tell me you're Catholic, but you know, I see the Cardinal saying all this stuff. I already told you how to deal with that. The EEOC doesn't care what the cardinal thinks. The EEOC cares about your sincerely held religious beliefs, and it makes that a matter for you and your employer to discuss without regard to the cardinal. Got it? Don't let anybody cow you based on those statements from bishops and cardinals. And if your employer requires your minister to sign it, have that discussion with your lawyer. I mean, with your with your employer, just ask them. Say, is that really necessary? We're talking about my religious beliefs, and the e- e- I've heard it said the EOC said that you don't have to have your minister sign these exemptions. 
well, I saw the Cardinals said none. We're not talking about the Cardinal beliefs. We're talking about my religious beliefs, right? I mean, just ask them. These are my beliefs right here. Do you need somebody else to, if, do you need to witness it? Why don't you sign it? Because I'm signed it right here in front of you. This is what I believe. That's all that's needed. I mean, hopefully that helps you deal with these situations. Hopefully that helps you get better ideas. I mean, God love you. And, and I hope to find more resources. Or if you have questions, please go on the website, on the podcast page, and put questions in. I'll try to find answers. I, I want to help people in this situation because I think this is this is when I see bishops doing what they're doing, that's why I started with can your bishop make you do this? I think people freeze and they don't realize the latitude that the law gives them. Title VII's clear. It's your sincerely held religious beliefs. The only caveat is whether or not this gives an undue burden to your employer. And we talked about ways to deal with that. And I think, honestly, if you talk it out with your employer, they don't want to lose a good worker. But they're getting pressure about what all this stuff means. And maybe they haven't considered this other stuff. Now, you guys that work for hospitals are in a different position. Um, but I've given you a framework you can make a very strong stand in the hospital with. And I think you guys in the hospital probably need to work together. That's part of Catholic social teaching as well. And develop some, uh, and I'd like that. You know, if you get in contact with me, I'd like to see what some of these exemptions that you guys write come up with. And I might even offer, you know, suggestions on things that might terrorize the uh or at least give the hospital second guessing on how expensive litigation would be if it goes that way. I, I, I can't give legal advice. I can't write this for you. I can give you general ideas. We're talking about your sincerely held religious beliefs. You need to write it. I've pointed you all the right directions on, on everything that you need. You have a toolbox now. You can do this. But I'd like to see what you do. Contact me on the on the con on the comment forums. Find me on Facebook, whatever you know, or on Twitter, or drop it in the comment box on the website or in the contact us box. It'll eventually get to me. I'd like to see it, and if I could think of things I could uh, help you with, I would do it. Let's let's. I already said our lady chance to hope pray for us. Thank you, Ivan, for pointing that out. I forgot about that stuff. Everybody say a little prayer for Ivan too. Let's end with a Hail Mary. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Ivan, you sure that's everything? Uh, I'm not sure that they got it. Well, there you go. You have made it through another episode. Hopefully this one was very helpful of the Bellarmine Forum podcast. I'm your show host, John B. Manos, president of the Bellarmine Forum. Production of this episode was underwritten by an anonymous donor that asked you to say your rosary daily. Especially with the pressures people are under right now. Do it. Do it. Our lady asked for it. Sunderwriter asked us to ask you to do it. Just to remind you, it's a good thing to do. If you would like to underwrite production of the podcast, contact the Bellarmine Forum using the contact form on the website, bellarmineforum.org, or call us. 
This podcast is a production of the Bellarmine Forum, formerly known as the Wanderer Forum Foundation, founded in 1965 on the heels of Vatican II as a faithful enclave of the Catholic faith without all the progressive modernist confusion. But because we're talking about sincerely held religious beliefs, use it! Title VII's modernist. It's okay. It's okay. Allow the slop of the modernist to give you a shield. If you want to have a religious exemption, it, you're welcome to it. All are welcome. <laughs> Can't help that. Our producer sits at the right hand of his father and will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. Our executive director made all things visible and invisible. Our technical director is an unnamed angel assigned to us by the producer per show. Bellman Forum is a nonprofit public charity and all donations are tax deductible to the maximum extent permitted by law. This show is copyrighted by the Bellman Forum 2021 to the greater glory of God and the honor of the Blessed Virgin Mary, Our Lady of 